From the KLYT Broadcast Studio, this is ABQ Connect. Your input on today's topic is important to us. Join in the conversation by calling 505-338-5790 or text 505-585-LIVE. ABQ Connect. And I certainly hope everybody's starting off 2024 on a good foot. We have a, a really intense, I would say, subject to talk about today, and that's uh, suicide prevention. We're joined in studio by Desiree Woodland and Pastor, I should say, just Gary Villa. Uh, Gary is is uh, right now the interim associate teacher with Refuge Church in Albuquerque, and he's part of the New Mexico Suicide Prevention Faith Community Workshop, which is really going to be the topic of today. We're going to be talking about suicide prevention and the faith community. Let me tell you a little bit about Desiree. Desiree Woodland is the president emeritus of Breaking the Silence, New Mexico. She and her husband, Gary, have two children, Michelle and Ryan. After the loss of their 24-year-old son, Ryan, she wrote a book called I Still Believe. That resource is still available. One of the reasons I want to tell you this is I want you to know who these people are, what they've been through. They have unbelievable life experience, and and they both trust Jesus. And I think that um, they also trust some of the medical diagnoses and some of the things that we're going to talk about today, uh, some might consider to be shameful or somehow something we should put in the drawer and hide. And we hope what you get out of today is don't hide any of this. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation and, and not laugh, but let's smile and talk about the amazing potential that you have as an individual, because I know that's what both of you are about. Uh, I'm so glad to have you here. Desiree, mm-hmm. uh, you were here with us, uh, I think, November? I believe so. November uh, yep. of last year. Uh, I don't know how 23 ended, but I hope 24 is going to be – I always want it to be better. Even if 23 was great, I hope 24 is better. So let's get started. Uh, I'm going to ask the simple question that's very complicated – what is mental illness and what is mental health? Well, you're right. It is complicated. Um, we use a definition in our lessons that mental illness is a disruption of someone's thinking, feeling, behavior, or ability to relate to others. It's actually a diagnosable mental condition, and it's an illness, just like diabetes or heart disease might be. Um, and it's on a continuum from mild to severe, but We often don't recognize it because we have stereotypes and stigma about what someone with mental illness looks like. And we have it in the church. It's in society at large, but it's in the church as well. Um, So depression, anxiety could be something that's easily treatable. But then you think about stereotypes. Um, My son was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And my mind, that's not my son. He's not standing on this street corner talking. So I think we have to acknowledge that this affects everybody, whether they're in church or not, and all different walks of life. It could be the someone at the store, the grocery store, could be your pastor, it could be someone you're sitting next to in church. So to be educated is really important. On the other side of that, mental health is just a sense of well-being and being able to meet the challenges of life, which often people who are in the depths of their mental illness are not able to do. So mental health really isn't a whole lot different than uh, maintaining your physical health. Oh, We go to the gym. I mean, so this isn't on my list, but should we all be doing some mental health exercise? Maybe going to church is one of those. Oh, absolutely. I, I had a, a journey with my own kind of emotional and mental health that began in the pandemic. It began in 2020. 
uh, when somebody introduced me to the concept of shame. And he, he was passing on a resource to me because he thought it would be helpful for me as I was pastoring in a particular congregation. So I watched this video with a, a psychiatrist named Kurt Thompson. I recommend his work highly to you. It's, he's got several books and he's all over the internet now. Um, but as I watched that, that show, that, that uh, webinar, um, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I watched it again and I watched it again and I realized I'm, I've been so bound up in shame and I just didn't know how to name it. And somebody named it for me and it sent me into therapy and I began talking through it. And all that just to say is my therapist would tell me that um, mental health isn't that you don't ever feel sad. It's not that you never feel shame. It's not that you never feel angry or all the negative emotions, but it's that your, your system knows how to deal with it, that it doesn't bind you up, that it doesn't trap you. It doesn't stick you in that place. You, you learn how to feel sad and how to properly feel all those other emotions that come through. It's interesting what you just said, Gary, about you didn't know how to, what to do with it. I'm, I'm a basketball coach. I told you that when we were walking into the studio today, and I've, I've helped uh, a number of different kids. And one of the things that I do is I teach kids how to protect the basketball using their bodies. Well, oftentimes they have to deliver a blow to the defender which causes pain to the defender <laughs> rather than necessarily the defender hitting them or striking them or fouling them. You know, there's all kinds of different terms for it. And one of the things I do after you go through these various drills, I've seen boxing coaches and others do this, is you learn how to, well, first of all, you, re you realize it doesn't hurt that much. So your fear doesn't overcome you. And it sounds like fear fear of being stigmatized, fear of self-image, whatever it might be, um, is really, really important to a lot of people that, that have this condition. So let, let's talk about the stigma associated with mental illness. Um, what does that look like in society? And then could you compare what does that look like in church? Yes. Is it okay if I start, or oh, would you like do. to start? Go ahead, and I'll okay. Pick up. So I think the stigma in society is just that we don't um, acknowledge that there is such a thing as mental illness, or if we do, it was caused by somebody who, which it could be, does drugs or uh, abuses alcohol. But it's often something that's a biological illness, and so what that when we think about that, though, we think about weakness or lack of character. And concerning the church, um, just thinking about the opportunity that I had to share at Hope with Gary, as I said, it broke something open to me, into me, because I've never been able to talk about suicide or mental illness in the context of faith. Mm -hmm. And to be able to stand up in front of your church and have a conversation with your pastor and say, and even cry, because you know, people are hurting, and we don't always acknowledge that. People don't want to acknowledge that if they think that they will be judged or condemned. Yeah. So it was a gift that I was able to share. Um, 2020, we said, on World Mental Health Awareness Day. So Yeah. You, know, you ask what it looks like, and I think it, it looks like in the church, just the way it looks like outside the church, except that we're all holding Bibles mm. in, in coming to church together. I, I was raised in a tradition— where I was actually expertly taught that all depression is caused by unconfessed sin. Mm. And 
that's a harmful kind of posture to take because there's so many reasons why a person might be depressed. But that kind of mm-hmm. um, posture limits then the kind of conversation that I'm willing to have about what I'm feeling and, and what I'm experiencing because it, it, it makes me think that it's only because I've done something wrong that I'm feeling all these things. And so that stigma, I think, persists in the church uh, because it in some way feels like a shadow is on me that is my fault. You know, I, I don't know why I'm thinking of this, but oftentimes we think about the Apostle Paul mm-hmm. and whatever the ailment was, he called it a thorn in mm-hmm. his flesh. That could have been a mental illness of some kind. A design really put upon him to keep him humble. Yes. And and that's what he says about it. And so I only share that because if you're feeling depressed, if you're down, um, I think that God can use all things uh, for good in your life. But you got to be involved in community. You got to talk mm-hmm. to some other people. Mm-hmm. We got to figure out what's going on. And that's going to lead me to my next question, Desiree, which is: Are any any depression, any mental illness that you're feeling, things that you can't overcome because they're just too ominous? Well, that comes back to kind of what Gary was saying, because I think uh, often in church we put masks on. We don't want people to know what we're really feeling because we are afraid that they might judge us and we might feel shame. So being able to um, acknowledge that is the first thing, being able to talk about it openly and be authentic. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the work we've been doing through the Department of Health is putting this guide together. So there's so many resources. Um, I mentioned mental illness is mild to severe. So there's many things that can happen if someone gets treatment, um, goes to counseling, and there is not any shame. And so people can live very full lives, um, no matter what kind of diagnosis, but it definitely takes being honest and and getting treatment um, for, for what that illness is. There's well, and break in. Yeah, please. I, I just feel like, you know, on one hand, we would say, you know, in the power of the Spirit, by the power of Christ, absolutely, any, any condition that we're carrying in our body can be healed. And also, and also, we might carry something for the rest of our lives. Yes. And so part of being a friend to someone that has a mental illness is being willing to say, I'm with you, I'm for you, we can be in the light together, and I'm not going to feel like it's my job to fix you, and I'm going to love you as you are for as long as you are that way, and we'll trust God to do the work of healing in His time and in His way. Yeah, And healing does look different for different people. uh Managing a mental illness that might be a lifelong illness is is huge. And that doesn't mean you can't have joy. That doesn't mean you yes. can't have a full life, but it does mean that you have an illness that you have to deal with. Yes. So uh, Desiree, you might want to give us a little history uh, about from the New Mexico suicide prevention community, um, because the New Mexico suicide prevention faith community work group has kind of grown out of that right. that state program. Tell us a little bit about that. So the New Mexico Suicide Prevention Coalition is a coalition of volunteers made up by mental health professionals, pastors, faith people, chaplains, mental health professionals. I think I just said that. Uh, but anyway, um, so we are kind of supported by the Department of Health. And out of that are 10 different work groups. Um, there are There's a veterans work group. There's... Um, 
first responders, there's the faith community, there's the school and adolescent health, um, all made up of people who are interested in addressing suicide in those areas of life. And we believe at the coalition that it has to be everybody. It's all aspects of society. We just happen to feel how amazing to have this conversation in faith communities. It's about time. Yes. I'll read something you wrote in the notes today. The faith communities work group wants to make it okay to talk about mental health in the church. Um, So let's talk about mental health in the church. Gary, you've had an opportunity uh, as a, as a teacher. Um, Did you start this at Hope EV Free at one time? Yes, I was a pastor at Hope uh, Evangelical Free Church for about seven years. That's where I met Desiree. Uh, And we had a very important, I think, public conversation. In November of 2021, I was preaching a sermon on invisible burdens. And in in that sermon, where I talked about the uh, Paul's instruction to the church in the book of Romans to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, and we talked about like taking those things that we're carrying and putting them out into the light. Uh, and then I brought Desiree up to tell her story, and we had a conversation on stage about mental health and about suicide ideation and prevention and, and, and part of su- um, Desiree's journey. But that public conversation was only possible because of the private conversations that Desiree was willing to have with me in the time before that. Um, but as a pastor... Like one of our primary tools, both privately and publicly, is conversation Mm. and being willing to take these conversations and bring them even to the pulpit and bring it under the lordship of Jesus and let him respond to it and let him love people in that place and teach others how to love people in that place. I think that's anyone who's in a a position of ministry, this— this is the first thing we can do is just begin talking about it as best we can. Desiree, last question of this segment, and that is this. Um, I said in the introduction that you lost your son, Ryan, 24 mm-hmm. years old. Um, you'd raised him in the church. Um, you had talked with him about the Lord. You had a diagnosis of schizophrenia. But it sounds like the church didn't necessarily just come around him and, and if you would swamp him with love and care. And that kind of needs to happen, doesn't it? For sure. It needs to happen. I mean, youth struggle with so many things in these, this time, Uh, so much is going on. There's such kind of an epidemic of Mm -hmm. mental health uh, crises for youth. And so the more that the church can be, a part of that and caring and loving for kids, teaching them um, about how to talk about their feelings and teaching them tools, giving them tools that they wouldn't have if we didn't have that conversation. But to me, that's what I wish had happened for my son, not just in the church, but even in the school setting. So that's why I started out in the school setting, because if you're not going to talk about it in uh, schools, churches, whatever, how are we ever going to learn? How are we ever going to open that door so that young people can get the help that they need? If you're in church leadership, maybe you are working with a women's group, maybe you're working with a men's group, maybe you're a pastor, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're uh, just helping take care of the grounds on the church, go to the leadership of the church. And you might want to listen to this next segment in particular, because we're going to talk about the challenge you're offering and the resources you're offering to churches uh, to really develop a program or, or at least a consciousness about mental health. 
We'll be back on ABQ Connect with Desiree Woodland and Bible teacher Gary Villa right after these messages. Stay with us. In studio today with Desiree Woodland and Bible teacher Gary Villa, they're uh, both involved with um, an organization called the New Mexico Suicide Prevention uh, Coalition, and they're specifically involved with Prevention Faith Community Work Group. Uh, That's one of many groups uh, within um, that coalition. Mm -hmm. And Desiree, we're going to talk now about uh, how does a church become a sanctuary for people that are that are suffering from mental health or mental illness. Well, I wonder if I should defer to Gary on that one. Um, would you like to answer that? I, I think we come at it from two different places, don't okay. we? Okay, right? yeah, because I think we do. On one hand, um, based on, on your input into my life, right, it's changed me as a pastor, it's changed me as someone that works in the church. I think first and foremost, like churches cannot cultivate in their people what they're not willing to demonstrate. And so what we bring to the public moment on a Sunday morning um, sends so many signals about what kind of people are welcome in this place. Um, So to be able to have honest, open, real conversations in public moments of letting people who are hurting know that they're not alone, that they're seen, Uh, that we bring conversations about anxiety and pain and mental illness and therapy and all the spectrum of this conversation, the whole of it, to teaching, to prayer time, to story and testimony, which is what we did together once upon a time. So all those ways are just letting people know, like, this is a safe place to bring your pain, to bring your hurt, to bring your questions, all of it. And Desiree, I think you've experienced that in a particular way. And so maybe you might have something to add to this. Yeah. yeah. Desiree, is this happening in some churches? It is. It is happening. Okay. Oh, my gosh. It's so wonderful. So beginning with the conversation that we had um, at Hope with Gary, which kind of spurred us on to say this is really important and maybe we have a story to tell that might help op- open up churches now because someone was brave enough to start it. Mm. So um, that was the first one. Um, New Covenant has also done the same thing because they have experienced, you know, mental illness in their church, and they wanted to to be able to educate the congregation and and particularly like group leaders, you know, like a, a care group or something to be able to do some training, which we can talk about in a little bit. Um, I'll say too. Um, recently, Nate Bush at New City Church uh, had a whole preaching series that dealt with conversations about mental health. And he also uh, sponsored, free of charge, for ministry leaders in the city an opportunity to come and have a seminar given to us about dealing with leadership anxiety. That was so helpful. So there's a lot of churches that are working in this space right now. There really is. And it's kind of like opening. It's time. It's God's Mm -hmm. time, I think. Um, And the last, well, a couple others I want to mention is Shepherd of the Valley. Um, They did uh, International Survivors of Suicide Loss Sunday following the International Survivors of Suicide Loss, which, by the way, is is held on the first Saturday of November, um, and it's held at Hope Church. So it's a beautiful venue for for people to come for healing after suicide. But the suicide, uh, the Shepherd of the Valley's sermon was the choice of music, the choice of the sermon, which was Psalms 90, bringing people in through Scripture, um, and not, you know, and being able to share just 
that it's an illness and it's not judgment as a church. We are supporting people. We want them to feel welcome. Is this an unfair analogy? If I had the flu the last three days, I wouldn't, and I feel better. I wouldn't come to you all bummed out and go, oh man, I had the flu the last three days. I'd come and go, I had the flu, but I'm feeling better, a lot better now. I know a lot of people did that with COVID, but COVID kind of made us bummed out a little bit. I think anytime there's any mental illness, maybe it's the stigma, maybe something, but we don't talk about it. I know we can't necessarily talk about it happy, but we could be positive. Right. And I think we have to understand that we can all languish and flourish whether or not we have a mental illness, mm-hmm. right? We all, we we get down, right? Mm-hmm. That's not kind of what we're talking about because it can happen with a mental illness too. So, um, and I wouldn't expect someone who is suffering from clinical depression to act happy. Right. I mean, if they're really struggling, I'm going to come beside them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to talk with them about, you know, what kind of, you know, clinical or what kind of therapy are you doing? How can we support you? Maybe we can go with you to that appointment. I mean, my personal experience, and I know my sister would not mind, um, but she has a diagnosis of bipolar, and sometimes she just cannot get up out of bed. Um, <clears throat> when she's functioning well, she's doing well, but when she doesn't, she doesn't beat herself up. She just gives herself permission to, you know, do what she needs to do to try to take care of herself. So I'll take her to the doctor. We'll go do what we need to do. So I think but we have she's to— She's not rejecting you, though. She's not rejecting She's not rejecting me. your help. And I no. get the sense that sometimes people, they're rejecting because they're not open to anybody helping them. Well, that's true because maybe it's shame, right? They don't want to people to— they're embarrassed to ask, ask for help, and isn't that what we're supposed to be about in the church? Is yeah, we help absolutely. one another, we're community, yeah. we support one another. Yeah. When, when again, that verse in Romans where we're called to weep with those who weep, that means both of us have to learn mm-hmm. how to do that. Both That's sides true. of that relationship, the person who is feeling some grief has to learn how to do that in a way that shares it with community, and the person who is joining that person in that place has to somehow also learn how do I meet them where they are and together look to Jesus. Gary, is there a misperception in the church that somehow medical and spiritual approaches to mental illness are should be opposed for some biblical reason? Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's even if it's not explicitly spoken in that way, it's kind of implicitly treated that way. That if, if somebody is taking a medication for a, a mental illness, that there's something uniquely broken about that person uh, that, that kind of categorizes them as less than or unfixable in a particular way. And it's not right, and it's not fair, it's, it's not true. And I think this is another way that, that pastors and people who speak on Sundays can push back on the stigma is by directly addressing those misperceptions that are in the room and putting them out in the open and letting light shine on it and expose it for the lie that it is. I'm not going to bring up any names, but I've just wrote down three things. Uh, musicians, artists, entertainers. Hmm. And I want everybody listening, include us in the room, to think about how many brilliant people you can think of in one of those areas. And I almost guarantee you they had some kind of mental illness. We know, like, I... I love Robin Williams. Yes. And, and, and I was so sad when his life ended. And 
I think Robin Williams had a lot more to offer us than just comedy. I mean, he was a lot. He was a, a brilliant dramatic actor as well. Anyway, I, I know that he didn't want to live with the medical conditions, and but there was something else underlying. You know, I think about there. There's many. There's many, many examples. So you're not talking about people that thrived with mental illness. You're talking about people that were brilliant, came up with some of the most unbelievable art, music, entertainment things ever, suffered from the, some kind of these conditions. And I, I think it would be so amazing if we as a Christian community could help people thrive even more. That's beautiful. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. And just to complete that last thought that I was talking about, I wanted to share that um, on New Year's Eve, your church hosted a New Year's Eve service, and Taylor Brosma, did I say his name correctly? Brosnus, yeah. Brosnus, yeah. mentioned mental health. His sermon was called, How Can I Help Others? And I thought, wow, see, that's that was an easy way to work in how the church can be involved um, and, you know, not to dismiss what you just said, I think it's yeah. so important. I just wanted to finish that yeah. thought. But, yeah, I think you're right. So many people who have mental illness are so brilliant because their minds don't think the same way as maybe someone. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's something also that is theological in response in which, you know, the, the psalmist once asked, where can I go where your spirit isn't also there, where he won't find me? And we think he he was using kind of physical analogies, ascending to the heavens and descending to Hades or to the grave. Your spirit is still there. And I feel like this is one of the messages we get to bring to people in mental illness, just like people who are in physical illness, that your situation is not somehow separated from the work of God, that, that he has not abandoned you to a place. Uh, I'm going to choke up trying to say this, but even... Even like once upon a time, there was someone that wrote a psalm accusing God of abandoning him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus, the Son of God on the cross, picked up that person's words to use as his own. How many centuries later to say that you were never alone in that place? Like this is where I am willing to go for you and with you. And that's a strong hope. That's a beautiful hope. We are going to be back with uh, our segment number three with Desiree Woodland and Gary Villa, Bible teacher. Uh, we've got a lot a lot to talk about here. In this next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about mental illness and maybe recognizing that in young people and even in children and uh, some of the things, some of the ways the the resources the these my two guests are incorporating to help parents and loved ones work with their children and, and moving through all of this so that they can thrive. We'll be back on ABQ Connect. Stay with us. We are back on ABQ Connect. Jim Williams with you. Of course, your good friend and mine, Steve Ryman, will be back with you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. Uh, Desiree Woodland and uh, Bible teacher Gary Villa are in studio with us. I want to tell you a little bit more about Desiree. Desiree uh, is part of of Breaking the Silence. Uh, she's president emeritus. They basically have uh, made sure that, as we're talking about today, started to make it comfortable for people to talk about mental illness and things 
in the public schools. She is a retired teacher, 19 years in the Albuquerque and Rio Rancho public schools, and she developed a curriculum called Talking Mental Health. It's a best practice, evidence-based, interactive curriculum about mental uh, illness awareness and suicide prevention that complements anti-bullying instruction. Boy, that's important today. And drug and alcohol abuse prevention curriculum. So she actually actively gets into public schools and trains educators about all of this. And now we're actually talking about today, we're talking about the New Mexico Suicide Prevention Faith Community Work Group. And they've put out a guide uh, for faith communities. Uh, it, it's it's really helpful. And so Desiree, why don't you tell us just a little bit about that guide. And then I want to talk to you about parents and maybe recognizing symptoms in their children that are kind of scary. Oh, okay, sure. So the guide has been uh, compiled by many different people. It's just not been us. It's, it's got uh, information for um, pastors uh, to be able to recognize. It's divided into two sections, for pastors and for congregants, but it's all um, – not so much information that you would be overwhelmed, but when we go in to meet with a group of pastors, we kind of go through it page by page, and we talk about uh, why this is important, that one in four people sitting in their congregation is dealing with a mental illness, and you know to be able to start viewing it in a, a way that is more safe and, and more uh, less negative for the stereotypes and stigma that exist. Um, it has uh, bibliography. We've um, included... Um, a page from a, a therapist in Zuni. So we're trying to incorporate all different groups of people for where, however that demographic is high for suicide. Well, you talk about Zuni. You know, you're obviously talking about sovereign nation. You're talking about yeah. a community of Native Americans and mental illness, uh, That's alcoholism, a all kinds of things are happening. We need so many things to happen in our fair state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I know... COVID did a lot to to hurt those communities even more. So all of this is part of the recovery, isn't it? It is. And, you know, because we're supported by the Department of Health, we envision that this coalition, it's eventually going to be statewide. Um, of course, you know, we're all volunteers. <laughs> we're not getting paid. So we're doing it as we can, but God has opened some amazing doors. So we are uh, going to Taos, to northern New Mexico. I think we have about five churches to visit um, in a couple of weeks. And so we'll see where God takes this. Um, but it's been a, a labor of love, to say the least. So if you're involved in the church at whatever level, and you think your church might be interested in obtaining these guides and this training, how do you they get in touch with you? Thank you so much for saying that. Um, there is a website, the nmspc.org, New Mexico Suicide Prevention.org. The guide is actually available to download. It's in PDF form. But our team would love to come out to your church. So I would like you to contact me. I'm going to give you my email. Okay. Um, it's scr. A-P-P-Y-1231 at Comcast.net. Okay, give that um, one more time. Uh-huh. Scrappy1231 at Comcast.net. And you're, you're going to be asking for uh, assistance from Desiree Woodland, and uh, she has a lot of experience with this, both personally and in talking with people about it. So, so let's get now to talking a little bit I know that there's parents listening right now. We have a large audience of women 
they are maybe working in their homes or they're 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 working and, and listening to the radio. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, what are some symptoms or indications that a person might be thinking about taking their own life. Is that stuff that you can notice? It is stuff that you can notice. Um, I think it can be a little bit daunting since there are over a hundred and something warning signs and risk factors. But I think the most important thing that is a proactive is to be able to talk with that person. How are you really? Let them share those feelings. Um, and if it if it does seem like it's more than what you can handle, we have the New Mexico Crisis Access Line. You can make that phone call with them. It's nine eight eight. And I know that one of the other gals, Jody, has done that personally with her family and just said, let me take your hand and let's make that phone call. Um, that crisis line can recommend therapists, can recommend um, you know, who, who else you need to see, but they're also going to be listeners. Um, so I think we have to be mostly, and I say this because a lot of parents have asked me too, like, what do I do when my, if, if I'm worried about my child? And I think Gary might agree with me on this one. It's talk to your child yes. get them to talk to you and you know teenagers can be really challenging and they don't want to talk to their parents but you just can't give up because you don't know what's going on in their head and so that's really a, i think the yeah. first step and in some of the signs you know we're looking for changes in behavior right like they, they might withdraw from friends or start keeping a different um, sleep schedule for instance and some of the signs can be serious, and some of these signs are just teenagers. Typical right? adolescents. It's just kind of uh, teenagers yeah. learning who they are and growing up into a new phase. And that's why the conversation and the relationship is so the important. Because you, even if you see signs, you can't interpret them um, well, I think, without that other piece of relational kind of conversation. Yeah. Hey, tell me what's happening. How are you? What's going on? Do you need help? How can I help? Yeah. I have five children. Thank God. They're all grown up. I, I, I'm not done with parenting, but I'm done with raising children. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say that because I have two granddaughters. Actually, I have four <laughs> granddaughters, but I'm participating a lot more with two of them who live here. Then I have one on each coast, so I get to see them quarterly. Um, what I was going to say, though, is I, I get the sense that there are people that you know, we all want to have closeness with our family. Seems like we're always close to our children when they're zero to five. But then they start school, they start getting some independence, uh, they get friends. And the whole time I'm talking right now, I've got a cell phone in my right hand. <laughs> I think this these cell phones are a big problem. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is I know when my daughters were in middle school, and I don't say this about my sons because this was not their experience, but my three daughters were all on sports teams like volleyball. Mm -hmm. Girls on sports teams, especially in middle school, are so mean to each other. They it are. is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And if you're compounding that with nasty social media comments about you, that cannot that is really got to be harmful to somebody that's experiencing maybe depression or some other things. So 
sounds like there's a lot we could do as parents to protect our children. Well, and I just read recently that that is like the number one problem for teens and depression. And um, I know Breaking the Silence has just developed a lesson on social media. So they're doing that. And that's being requested quite a bit. But as far as parents, I think parents have to educate themselves about how to set those boundaries, too. Maybe they can't do that on their own. Maybe they need it a therapist to help them to to uh, set those boundaries for their kids because um, not all parents are able to do that you know some of them want to be their best friend instead of mm-hmm. their parent you know but here again we come back to the church the church could also help parents with classes parenting classes or how to deal with social media with your teens so i mean i I don't think I'm asking the church to, to be the be-all, end-all, yeah. but it's real in our churches, too. I was really grateful. I think it was during—it must have been during the pandemic because it was a, a Zoom kind of uh, conversation. But Hope Church brought in Breaking the Silence to talk directly to the parents of every you know youth group member, just to, to raise these issues for parents to know how to respond, how to see them, what to do, who you can talk to, where, where can I find help— and I feel like even just starting there, having a community conversation among parents, and then also let parents help each other, because some parents are just nice. kind of naturally more insightful into the moment than other parents might I be. I love that. I don't know if this is fair, but I'm thinking about Paul's instruction to Timothy when he was about to go become the pastor in Ephesus. And one of the things I always recall is that he said, don't despise your youth. Mm. Can, a, can a 12 or a 16-year-old have God work through them to help a friend who might be thinking about taking their own life? Could they be an instrument? Yes. <laughs> I was looking to you to say I yes, mean, too. <laughs> they might even be in a better position than parents mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, my son is 10. His 10-year-old friend, in some cases, is going to have more social capital with my son than I do as his parent. And the things that that are said to him by peers sometimes carry more weight than the things said to him by parents over time. And so, yeah, if you're 12, 16, or 60, it doesn't matter. But 12, like caring for your peers uh, is an essential place. And absolutely, God can use a caring, kind, empathetic, listening friend right now in every middle school, in every high school, in every elementary school. Uh, if our kids are 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 taught to be kind and unleashed into that space, and they need to learn something about this, though they need some education too. That's right, and that's what you've been doing. Breaking the silence does, yes. yeah, because I that that's actually a great example of why it's important to do it for every child, not just kids who are struggling. I mean, they know they're struggling, but but the peers, um, and it's really impactful. I know we have not been able to do it for a while, but we um, hopefully we'll get back to it, but we've always had peers present with an mm. adult. So that way, there is a peer who is yes. telling the kids yes. and teaching them and sharing their experience. And yes, that peers helping peers, so important. One of the things I'm thinking about as you're talking about peers, and by the way, I do listen to what you say. I I, I mean, I'm imagining a 12-year-old that may have a very close relationship now with their parents. Maybe that's been healed after a lot of effort on both sides. And they are a peer that's now willing to say, yeah, I I experienced depression as a 12-year-old. And there is no shame because now the Holy Spirit 
has shown them that them openly talking about that is going to help lots of people. And I find that's what happens with any sin that we confess. God always changes other people's lives, not just ours. Yeah. Yeah. In this area of, of mental illness, you know, it's a little bit different than sin, right? Um, but but even kids that are going through something and they, they don't know how to name it, and they might be, be the, the um, victim of bullying. They might be the victim of something else that's causing them to feel worthless or causing them to feel depressed. Uh, I have a 10-year-old son who's been so helped by another friend in his class because he hugs him and he tells him, you're my friend. Oh, like, nice. It's simple. It's just normal friendship. But what a difference that makes in a kid's day when he's feeling bad about being bullied on the basketball court, but there's one person who's willing to open his arms and say, it's all right, man, I got you. Yes. I want to say this. I don't, I believe there's a lot of information. And I believe it's going to require a lot of hard work. And we're going to talk about the faith community and the love that you'd like to see them extend to people and what that means and what form that takes in our last segment. But I wanted to also qualify. I'm not asking you for the easy road. Christians, Mm -hmm. it's time for us to love people into the kingdom and be used by God. And sometimes that takes some extraordinary uh, effort and perseverance on our on our part. And I believe God gives us that energy. Stay with us. We'll be back on ABQ Connect. We're back with our final segment on ABQ Connect. Thank you for joining us on this very cold uh, afternoon here in Albuquerque. I know I woke up this morning to about an inch of snow in Rio Rancho, but the wind was blowing about 40. And uh, when the ice is like powder and not melting, you know it's cold outside. Mm. And that's what we had this morning. I think most of the roads are clear, but I hope you'll drive carefully as you navigate uh, our fair city. Desiree Woodland and Gary Villa are in studio with us. Gary is a Bible teacher. Desiree Woodland uh, is uh, an author, has been talking about mental health and uh, mental illness and and different things in both the public schools now in the faith community, and it's it's just amazing which what this group has done now with the New Mexico Suicide Prevention Faith Community Work Group, one of several commu- um, work groups within uh, this organization with the state of New Mexico. Now, Desiree, I'm going to say that there's spiritual people out there right now that are automatically saying, "Oh, if it's the state, it can't be very spiritual." Oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know what? The entire guide, uh, the entire coalition is not necessarily faith-based, but our faith-based work group, which we're so blessed that we have the recognition and acknowledgement of the state, because I think that's going to keep our coalition going stronger. But um, but yeah, we have, with their blessing, put together this Faith Communities Leaders Guide, because what they believe, and I would like to just read that at the very beginning of this book, it was by from the uh, Surgeon General, he says, suicide can be prevented Just as suicide is not caused by a single factor, research suggests that reductions in suicide will not be prevented by any single strategy or approach, rather best achieved by a focus across individual, relation, relationship, family, community, and societal levels, and across all sectors, private and public. And they 
the Department of Health subscribes to that. So whether whatever programs are going on, you know, I don't know. But this one, this one is a faith-based community work group. So we're very dedicated and, and honored to be able to uh, grow through the Department of Health. How do they get in touch with you if they're interested in bringing their faith community into some education and obtaining your guides? Right. We're going to ask for 30 minutes of their pastors or any community leader's time. And we will be offering – we offer this uh, work group – I mean this um, guide for free. And so you can reach me, uh, Desiree, at scrappy1231 at comcast.net. I love that. Now, here's big question for only about nine minutes left in our program. How would you like to see the faith community be become more involved with suicide prevention? So I'd like to start and then you finish up. Okay. okay. Uh, we would like to see, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that a lot of the churches have care ministries, um, but we would like to see a group of people within each faith community be trained. There's a lot of free trainings that are... Um, on the coalition website and you know there's well i don't even want to go through them all but qpr but the one that i would really like to recommend is called sanctuary and i am looking to do that as a um, home meeting first but the church i've been attending um, is going to allow me to do that in september so it's sanctuary sanctuary mental health ministries thank you their official thank you uh, anyway, so they can train. They can be trained um, to be that conduit for the people who are suffering in their congregations. So people know who to go to when they're really having a, a, a mental health crisis. That they know that they will get the resources because they have the guide. Okay, so a them. church right now, most churches, I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of them have a diligent, dedicated counseling team, men and women. Mm-hmm. So will some of this training help them to recognize a more serious mental illness and transition into a professional help situation? I I believe so, because, you know, mental illness is not just a spiritual issue. It is also Mm -hmm. a clinical issue. Okay. Hey, guys, I didn't plan on this, but I'm happy to invite them into the show. Uh, we have a caller on the line, Kathleen, that is calling. Kathleen, thank you for calling ABQ Connect. Yes, hello. And um, I know Desiree, and I support what she's doing, but a, a careful question came up as your discussion that I think is important to differentiate. I think the church can be easy to judge and say met, and, and align mental health with sin. Mm as opposed to looking at it as, and, and trying to get someone to maybe have a doctor diagnosis yes, rather than just equating it with sin. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kathleen, you may be also referring to a way I phrased something in our last segment. I didn't actually mean to do that, which uh, when somebody is depressed and, and they're feeling, um, you know, some kind of shame or something, I didn't, mean to use the word sin but i did and i and what i what i should have said is they're just feeling shame for whatever reason it could be uh, uh many reasons including uh serious mental illness kathleen we're really near the end of the show but i thank you so much for listening and calling in today thank you again thank you 
you guys. I, I, yeah, I'm just blessed that Kathleen would take the time to call because that's really important. It you is. Know, we're trying to break down facades and, uh, you know, when the host of the radio show blows it, hey, I'm, I'm happy to take accountability because it, it really does need to be communicated correctly. Yes, and I think Gary picked up on that very well. Um, yeah. You know, that it isn't sin. It is. We wouldn't say someone with cancer is sinning. That's right. Right? Yeah. Same thing. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm amazed that uh, all of this is going on. The state of New Mexico has actually uh, helped you to distribute these guides to the faith community. Right. And you said you don't have to pay money for them. No, we have a grant. <laughs> okay. We have a grant. Nobody has to pay for anything. We're, we're just happy to be able to give them away. Hey, now I'm thinking, Desiree, that I know there's two or three men's Bible studies with several hundred people. Would you come and present something to a Bible study or a women's group, or does it need to be the leadership of the church? Well, you know what? There's You're probably asking two different things. Okay. Like one of the, thing, the programs that is called NAMI FaithNet, which we did at Hope, that's a 45 minute to an hour and a half presentation to teach a men's group about mental health. I'd be happy to do that. Um, but the other, this guide is just giving churches resources. It's not really, we're not really doing education. Per se. Well, we are gotcha. because we're having conversation, but we're really wanting churches to have these resources because people will start coming to them and saying, I'm really struggling. Can you tell me where to go? Yeah. And locally here, there's some wonderful places that will offer spiritual care as well as clinical care for counseling. So, And do you have some examples well, of Well, Cornerstone LifeWorks is one. And, and Formation Counseling led by Marty Gehring is a fantastic uh, group of counselors. Yeah. Well, and again – they're they're not mutually excu- exclusive. That's right. Spiritual help and mental health help yeah. go together. We are combined human beings, right? Like mental health, spiritual health, physical health, all these things work and they overlap. And sometimes my body needs a physical intervention. Sometimes my mind needs mental health intervention. And we we want to treat them where the where the root cause is, while recognizing that often one system leads into another system as well. We all know what we need to do for spiritual help. We're told by our pastors that every day, right? Mm. Um, we're also told by our trainers that we need uh, physical health and what we should do there. Mental health is kind of the same, Desiree. you got to get out there and work. One more time, how can they get in touch with you about this guide? Okay, um, my email is scrappy1231 at comcast.net. I would be happy to have somebody who would like us to come out and visit with their church leadership so they can get this guide. Gary, thank you very much for joining us. Desiree, always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Thank you.